AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. We waiting on reparations. Yeah, uh, yeah. We waiting on reparations. You're listening to Waiting hey. on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey. Tell her, tell her, Forget yeah. the fossil industry and the insurance companies and the big private prison profiteers. Tell them, come for me. And the big pharmaceutical industry sitting comfortably. More medical indebtedness crushes us underneath. I, Ooh. for one, believe the working people are the ones that need the biggest chunk of cheese. And with Bernie Sanders running the scene, every man, woman, and seed. If you tan, German, and Greek. If you trans, German, and seat. You a friend of serving and seat. Insurance carrying the wheat, got workers earning 15, got Zoomers earning degrees. We human burning the wheat by taxing the corporations. We certain to curb the greed, and with the Green New Deal, the earth's burning will cease. So, whose side are you on on this battle for humanity? Are you with the oligarchs or with the working families? Are you with the future of our planet or its enemies? Are you with the 1%? Where were you on the sand? This when team? the revolution's over, I'm exploding like a Nova. I just took a ride to Kroger, and nobody pulled me over. I got blunts on sight, and ain't nobody sober. Yo, my name's Dope Knife. My mama call me Toga, go and smoke up. It's all legal, we all equal, we all ball. No such thing as small people. Gun sticks, pots and pans, we fall evil. Now we got plots of land, four zero. See though, I won't be shucking and jiving. The blaze at your face, why the fuck are you smiling? Politicians ain't original, nothing surprising. They clones of each other like they stuck on the island. I'm hey, with, hey, I'm hey. What's up, y'all? <laughs> happening. My name is Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations. Hurry up. Hey, so how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm Miss fresh, Busybody? Uh, fresh off of a quote-unquote vacation in North Carolina yeah, for about a how week. Yeah, was that? That was dope. Watched a lot of Netflix. Uh, ate a lot of cookie dough straight out of the tube. So sounds like... A little yeah. bit of what you're doing here, but over there? Yeah, pretty much the same <laughs> thing. I was still going to commission meetings and whatnot. Um... But just in the company of my mother. Yeah, how how is she all right? She's good. I mean, she she's got lupus, and so she's been very careful with COVID and everything, and just generally has a lot of like lung issues. And so, uh, glad that she's staying safe and inside, sheltering at home. So yeah, so I have a meeting with the police chief of Athens tomorrow about some of the movements demands um, that we've been. Uh, Having these protests over continually, I've been seeing, you know, all over the country, they're still ongoing. Even the media has not covered it as closely. But, you know, there's been a call for, like, a ban on neck restraints here, a ban on tear gas, like they've done in Seattle, Denver, Dallas, Philadelphia, and in Portland. Um, and a lot of other things that aren't even radical. Like, the funny the police freak people out, but, like, things like requiring officers to give a warning before they shoot is actually required in 70 out of 100 of the largest police departments in the country. You know, as a fan of action movies... Cops in action movies used to like yell freeze all the time. Yo, what happened to that? I don't know. What happened to that? Yeah. Um, there's the requirement that officers have a duty to intervene to stop another officer from using excessive force, which is standard in 50 out of 100 of the largest police departments in the country. Um, 
85 out of the 100 largest police departments in the country have a de-escalation continuum and like a use of force continuum. And so like we're just asking for things that... So you're going to like present these to him? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, going to present these to him tomorrow. Um, as if he, does he not know this? He knows this shit. He knows <laughs> this is what we want. Uh, they called this meeting because they were like, Mariah you have to stop having these caravans without a permit. And I was like, the movement does not ask for permission to mass disrupt. Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, I was chilling here taking care of your cat. And, uh, you know. Sweet boy. He was coming in and out as he pleased, but he was good. Now, um, made some more progress on my comic book. And I produced a bunch of beats that I'm going to be using on the show soon. Sick. They're yeah, not going to be on this episode. This episode is going to be some of my older beats and Factor Chandelier, but um, I'm going to have some new fire for the people in a little bit. And the uh, Black Lives Matter Punisher shirt that I did with uh, Jerry Conway, the creator of Punisher, that finally got printed and people are starting to get those. So That's dope. That's what's up. Yeah. And then on top of that, I'm getting ready for this uh, show that I have on July 18th. It's going to be on Twitch TV slash The Grand Collab, but it's going to be like an indie hip hop stream show. It's going to be a bunch of dope acts, but I'm going to be one of them. So y'all should tune in and hear me rap. Word. But um, what yeah, else? no. Other than that, just been watching the news and, and you know writing and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. You, you, heard, you heard about this Kanye shit? Is there something new? Well, I mean, is there a no, is are there new well, developments? You know, we haven't we haven't talked about him since he announced that he was. I feel like last time Running that we mentioned president. him, yeah, he announced that he was going to run for president. And yeah, it's obviously bullshit. But just your general thoughts. I mean, I loved watching, like, the libs lose their shit about it. Uh, a lot of people doing the, you know, doing the research about what countries, what, uh, sorry, doing the research about what states he can't get on the ballot for, and how would it affect the electoral math, and whose votes would he take? Oh, the young black voters aren't going to vote for Biden anymore. I'm kind of mad that it's Kanye, to be honest with you. Like, I'm mad that it's, not that if it was any other rapper that I would think it's as acceptable or that they're qualified, but at least I would understand can, people's logic. You know what I, I mean? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What if it was Talib Kweli? Yeah. Well, okay, so this, that's exactly what I'm saying. So I'm not saying that, oh, I think that Talib Kweli is qualified to be president. But if somebody says, oh, Talib Kweli should be president... I'm thinking, okay, well, people are looking at famous people to be president these days. So, all right, Talib Kweli is a conscious rapper who people know is politically aware. I understand someone's logic in picking Talib. You know what what if it was Chance the Rapper? You know, he was going hard for Kanye the other day. When he was Kanye talking about it. reparations and abolishing prisons. But exact, at the same time, I will say, you know... Chance the Rapper is a, a lot more politically aware of a, of a rapper and a person just historically than Kanye has been, in my, in my opinion, from my point of view. So, I, again, I would understand people's train of thought to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I think that Chance the Rapper, but... But would, but like, would you feel tempted? Would I what? Would you feel tempted? What, to vote for Chance the Rapper? Yeah. Hell no, no. I might feel a little bit tempted. No. I'm, I'm kind of over I'm over like Celebrities I think I think I've seen what that's like I'm good <laughs> I don't want it again Alright fine Well let's talk to a real candidate <laughs> Alright So yeah bottom line I mean I don't I think that it's I think it's kind of racist To frame it in the, in the way of Oh a black person's running They're going to siphon The black vote Doesn't matter who it is They don't understand How hip hop works But In the sense that like White listeners Make up like 70% Of exactly. hip hop Like consumers Like Kanye but, was able to like Catapult to such fame Because his appeal Is mostly To white people <laughs> But a thing that You know and we're, we're gonna cover it a bit On our our episode that we're doing on Donald Trump at some point. But I don't know. Like, I feel like when I think of Donald Trump as president, to me, and I've always felt this, there's like a list of qualities that I think disqualify him from being from from being able to lead a country. 
point blank period. You know what I'm saying? They're like a list of like character traits and human qualities that I feel like, oh, okay, that's check off. Okay, check off. And they like go in an order of like importance of just like functionality of what somebody needs, the tools that someone needs to like be the head of state. And like he's racist is like number four in there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But there's like a couple other traits that I'm like, yeah, I see that in Kanye. I wouldn't want that to be president at all. Like, ever. Like, no. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel the same exact way that I feel about Donald Trump about it. So, I don't know. To me, it's it just, it's disappointing. To- I mean, we're here at all because we could have had Bernie motherfucking yeah, Sanders. For real. <laughs> Speaking of Bernie. So, like, I feel like, you know, I opened the, the show with some bars I wrote about Bernie back in February um, because our, our, guest this week has somewhat filled a void in a lot of like young progressives organizing um like capacity um media attention and leadership um his name is Shahid Batar he's running for um Nancy Pelosi seat in the 12th congressional district of California and so I think that like a lot of folks are turning for Hope Elsa they're looking to people like Shahid looking to people like Kanye uh, maybe not like the Bernie Bros said as much. I don't know. I saw mixed things on Twitter, frankly. What about the Kanye Bernie thing? Bros being like, fuck yeah, Kanye? Well, this is going to be part of a series that we're going to be doing of interviews with people who have or who have had a foot in the culture of hip hop as active participants, whether that be an MC, break dancer, graffiti artist, but then also have another foot either in politics or activism, just general cool shit that's making an impact and making a difference in the world. This series is called Spitting Images. I thought of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's all these races that like progressives are now sort of turning their attention to um, across the country. Because, you know, they're very policy-driven. Um, we're seeing now with the un- pandemic unfolding and 5.4 million people having lost their health insurance um, since it started. Like, you know, fucking Medicare for all, man. That could have been a thing. Um, and stuff like that. So we're, like, trying to figure out how to keep that um, those policy goals alive. And it's through electing people like Shahid, I think. So to start, for folks that don't know about you, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running to unseat Nancy Pelosi in Congress. I'm an immigrant. I'm an artist. I'm a lawyer and an advocate. And I've basically watched my city in Washington for the better part of 20 years be represented by a voice that's proven all too willing to support Wall Street before San Francisco. And I've been in San Francisco since 2000. I spent about half that time in Washington, D.C., fighting for San Francisco's values and interests there without a seat in Congress. And from the time when I was challenging Bush's wars for profit and Obama's drone strikes and wars on the press and deportations and mass surveillance and then Trump's corruption and mendacity and assaults on human rights and reason across every one of those eras of abuses, I've seen Nancy Pelosi standing with corporate and conservative interests instead of the progressive interests of the city that I love. And so you, I've heard you refer to yourself in in other interviews as a political artist, and I wonder how um, arts have factored into your advocacy or been leveraged for your advocacy in uh, previous campaigns that you've fought for various issues? It's been really, for me, very integral, even before politics, like in a meta sense. Like, I got acculturated, basically, through spoken word and hip-hop. Like, it was hearing... I was in Chicago in the 90s, and, um, you know, like, the Green Mill is a place that comes to mind. Uh, On the north side of the city, and, you know, even, like, just back in Hyde Park, too, on the south side, just hearing in ciphers, hearing on stages and open mics on the trains, like the trains and the train stations, like rhyming with people. You just hear people's stories, you know, and that's, it was through the mechanism, if you will, it's like a gross word to apply here, but like the word is the beginning of art. And I think it was, the art is always reflecting on the circumstances that we come from and, and are in. I think any art that pretends not to be political is simply blind to its political 
insinuations. Like if you're not challenging power in your art, you're implicitly deferring to it. And much of the art I had a chance to hear in that era was very, if not challenging power, at least speaking from beneath the boot. And so that's, plus my own experience, you know, that's kind of the perspective through which I see policy is, you know, from the lens of an immigrant whose family migrated around the world, you know, halfway around the world twice to get here, seeking the freedoms and opportunities that we continue to deny our own people here in the United States and always have, Yeah, you know. Uh, um, when did you first start, like, rapping? And what impact do you think it had on, like, your ability to communicate in general or in public speaking? 90, 91, uh, late high school. Uh, around how old were you? Uh, 16, 15, 16. I was doing musical theater. Oh, word. At, I'm sorry. Oh, I said word? That's that's interesting. I didn't know <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're like a hippity hop show, so we say stuff like word and fresh <laughs> and dope. No, no, it's cool. I think I had to turn up the volume on my mic because I, I think I had it turned down. Uh, so it's my own fault. Sorry for that. <clears throat> but yeah, no, for me, musical theater was like how I cracked out of my shell. You know, I was an awkward immigrant and I didn't really know how to fit in. I grew up in rural Missouri and then we moved to the suburbs and that was a pretty profound cultural change. It's like we immigrated by moving half an hour, you know, a second time. And for my family, a third time, that was the second time for me. You know, my family moved from Pakistan to England and then from England to rural Missouri and then from rural Missouri to the suburbs. Every one of those was a, you know, pretty profound migration. And then I moved to the south side of Chicago before I went to Stanford for law school. And like every one of those was a pretty profound migration. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the art, I mean, for me, I would say poetry and lyrics, both in the sense of giving me the opportunity to just speak to things that I don't necessarily even address in my politics, mm -hmm. you know, like just where your soul comes yeah. from. Like that's a venue for a whole, you know, range of expression beyond that. And, you know, like the metaphysical unity of all things and how we all share an interest, ultimately like a self-interest in preserving a future for all of us. Like that's like a thing I don't necessarily like riff on a lot in a left brain discourse, yeah, yeah. you know, but like the art gives me a chance to hit on um, to the more visionary side. And then also just in the sense I would say, you know, I get... Um, I get occasionally shouted out for knowing how to use a microphone, and I think that, that <laughs> yeah. particularly came from performance yeah. and just time on a mic. You know? For sure. The path that you're on, like, was this all, was this always part of your plan, or was there ever, like, a point where you considered actually focusing on music or poetry? I mean, my dream, if I were to, like, construct my, like... Yeah, like, if you had a genie that you could just, like... Yeah, I'd rather be an artist, frankly, for that to be my time and to dabble in politics Yo, on the side. Of the I feel that. I yeah, feel that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. I feel pressed into politics. I mean, this is... I feel conscripted by, by current yeah, events. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel the same in, like, you know, my political work. I wish I didn't have to be doing this, but someone has to be pushing for these changes. Right. I'd rather just be rapping all day, but... Well, but that idea of doing it off on and off the mic, you know, being about it yeah, is, is, you know, something I take that from like, you know, there's so many MCs over, do you remember like back in the day, I think it was Al Gore and Bill Clinton were demagoguing sister soldier. Oh, God. oh yeah. Oh, no, God. I remember that shit. That's like become a political colloquialism for speaking out against your base pretty much. And, and she was like a, she was a spoken word community organizer. Like, yeah. and, you know, the number of people I've met over the years who are compelled by the things they witness to speak the truth mm. whatever it means for power i mean that's that's like the grist from which all useful anything in our society has come you know those those were the griots that's the oral history that preceded the institutional history that has you know brainwashed us and yeah, kept us yeah. ignorant for generations yeah, yeah. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. 
Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. I've been, for the last few days, I've been um, bumping Get Out of Your Chair, your 2008 album, right? Oh, right on. So I'm just just curious, just how did that album come together? Because it seems to be the only one in your discography. So, like, you know, who, who produced it? Was it all all the beats, uh, somebody you knew, or was it you? Or I couldn't really find too much of the credits for it. Yeah, I'll break it down. Um, and, yeah, I've had other songs since, but not really enough to put an album together out of yeah. oh my god um, the world needs it once you unseat once well, you unseat nancy will you give us a second I, album <laughs> i appreciate that i mean i have i have tracks in the can frankly that i've never released just because oh. it's like i don't have any time to like make cover art or whatever yeah, yeah. You know what i mean I've, I've got this one song justice that i've had in the can for like a year and it's this like bumping house track it's a little poppy and it riffs on mass incarceration homelessness in particular as well as militarism like i try to do like the dr king's intersecting evils yeah yeah and you know it's like probably my best like vocal rendition of, of anything sung so like you know i like to sing and, and rap over house tracks that's kind of where hey I'm, don't tease us with stuff that we'll never get to hear Come well on. i'll drop it soon okay. i mean if it's like that if i hear there's an audience Yo, for it i'll just put a random like, there's definitely it an audience before. for it my man that's definitely 100 okay. percent audience for it right now <laughs> Well, we're actually, this is going to, this is going to be, this interview is part of a series that we're thinking about doing where we're just going to be talking to people who are, you know, one foot in hip hop and the other foot in politics or activism, you know. Right on. There's a lot of people who are doing it apparently. So. Yeah. Talk to Equipto. Make sure you talk to him in the community. Okay, definitely. Frisco Five, you know, helped organize the, one of the really driving forces behind the hunger strike at the Mission uh, District Police Station responding to the murder of Alex Nieto uh, and Mario Woods before that. Um, and if you get a chance, talk to Keith Ellison. One of my favorite moments of D.C., my first time there, I think this would have been like 2009, 2008, I'm riding up an escalator and I'm right next to a representative at the time, Keith Ellison. Yeah. And somehow we fall into a cypher and no like he was just way. like Wait, he was going with in? each other what? going up the escalator. It was what? bizarre. It was amazing. <laughs> It was a really like uh, I remember that moment just feeling because it was very like not the kind of shit that happens. In no, Washington, man, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean that's the thing with like MCN is it's like Fight Club and shit like we're everywhere. No doubt. Yeah. We're the politicians no and the teachers. I'm pretty sure my yep. favorite cipher I was ever in was at Netroots in 2017 in Atlanta with a bunch of okay. folks from like Democracy for America and like Working Families Party. We're just like you know we just ciphered up in the lobby of the Hyatt. You know, and it's like there kicking bars about defeating mass incaration and uplifting working families and shit. Hell yeah! yeah. But sorry, we were talking oh. about sorry, get sorry. out of so your chair. Back to the yeah, album. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So the production the production was really unique. It had a lot of um, like hand percussion it sounded really had a homemade sound to it yeah a homemade like acoustic quality to it that, that's it's uh most of the hand drumming you heard on that album there were two people Kristen Arant in Washington DC and Ken Kwam in Washington DC and they both illustrate exactly what we're talking about Kristen Kristen has a lifetime ban from the National Press Club because she interrupted Donald Rumsfeld to drop a banner saying you have blood on your hands when you're oh, speaking at a press conference in 2003 I met her right when I moved to Washington the first time and we co-organized the D.C. Guerrilla Poetry Insurgency. It's one of the grassroots performance collectives that I've put together over the years. And then uh, she, she's, we've performed together like any number of places. Uh, she taught me to drum. Uh, oh, word. And then Ken, Quam, I met on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I met on the Chinatown bus. I think, from China, I think from Boston to New York in like 2006. 
seven maybe and he was he, at the time he was like a a uh, young man, he'd been organizing against the war as a student on his college campus, got super into it, got super burned out. Mm-hmm. I think he ended up paying some like personal prices for his organizing in terms of like, you know, needing to take some time away from mm-hmm. school and like definitely burned out of his inspiration. And then like I've seen him since get re-inspired and re-engaged yeah. in the movement. And he'd come to, he was, I remember he was a, a trained musician at the Berkeley School of Music. So he yeah. was like a legit musician. Yeah. And Kristen is too. She she trained an oboe in particular, and they were basically the instrumentation you heard on the album was like my homies, you know, and like who I could drag into the studio. With. Isn't it always <laughs> no, I know, the case? I know that struggle. Yeah, Kinda, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and and it's interesting too because that album, you know, it reflects much more of like a funk and you know live music performance sensibility than most of what I perform is like rapping with a DJ. I started yeah. DJing to throw myself beats that I could rhyme over. And so I'm much more a househead than I am what comes across in that album. But that album, frankly, is also much more of kind of like what I bring to the mic in, you know, a, a, a space where I don't have a DJ and a sound system like that. Yeah, yeah. So. so you're like a, you know, you're you're a double threat. You know, are you you rap and you DJ? But are there any other like elements that you get down on? Like I can break a little break? bit. I play capoeira. What? So, uh, what? I know a lot of people who do um, that. It was like a transition and a break in for them. Yeah, I started training because it's like I mean, I, I used to kickbox and, and study aikido before this, and so the martial element of capoeira particularly appeals to me. In addition to the like stylistic embellishments that you know the b boys and b girls yeah. sort of like developed. And, innovated on so i just like to move i'm a kinesthetic <laughs> i love motion what? so dance and martial arts both kind of like snowboarding all those things kind of hit that button for me word, word. on the katie helper show you made a joke about rap battling nancy pelosi are you are you <laughs> are you a ba- you don't strike me as like the battling type no, so, like, not really. I mean, I when, mean, I, have you been- when I battle rap, I just call people out for being egotistical. Yeah, yeah. I wondered <laughs> if you have any battle in your blood, like, you know, in terms I get grandmother on it. Like, you know, what would your mom think if you were, <laughs> you know, like, you're over here saying blow. Like, yo, no, that's a like, good, that's a good strategy. Chill. I used to, I, yeah. I used to battle myself. So, no, I know, I, I, I ran across some cats like you. Who- <laughs> yeah. Nice. Were you, were you still DJing every Thursday in the Castro up until the pandemic hit? Every month, it's a monthly. Every, yeah. Okay, and every until Thursday, the, Thursday, yeah. Until the pandemic hit, I saw the last time I was rolling through, actually, there was a former member of our board of supervisors who passed away recently. So there was a memorial mm-hmm. for him. And as I was walking to the memorial, I just happened to pass the spot where I play beats every month. And they, they started uh, serving people out on the sidewalk. So they kind of moved the service out on the sidewalk. So I'm hoping maybe to, to get oh, back in there and, and, and bump some beats off the balcony. Yes. You know, yeah. yeah, that would be cool. Well, not even campaign events, just like just for fun. playing the, the balcony. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, I had a chance to do some of that. We just played actually a renegade in Alamo Square uh, at sunset on my ex-girlfriend's friends put it together uh, Thursday, I think that was. And, uh, and then this is even crazier. An art truck just got to town. It used to be the Bernie van. Oh. <laughs> and... Uh, our homie David just got to town on Friday and we spent all weekend bumping beats all over the city. Amazing. In different like block party protests, all youth led. My favorite moment of the whole weekend was Saturday morning, Independence Day. I'm on the roof of a van in a code pink and Extinction Rebellion caravan going to Nancy <laughs> Pelosi's house for an empty chair debate chanting defund police and the Pentagon. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. So what has the pandemic and the campaign trail been like for you musically? Well, musically it's just kinda of like shut just down shut music. Down I, completely, I, yeah. I miss it a yeah. lot. I mean I still write lyrics. Um I've gotten to plug in on a couple like Zoom conferences, like basically different DJ crews that are doing live streams, you know, it's so, like dance with everybody in their their living rooms and their bedrooms and that's kinda of cool. But like I feel I feel pretty shorn. Mm. It's one thing I miss, frankly. I've, I, there are a lot of things to mourn at a time like this, and I have more than once mourned, particularly like just the experience of people being together, and especially because yeah. like I don't even know when we experienced that together. That that's one reason for me that Renegade in Alamo Square was like so it was my heart because like I haven't I haven't been on a dance floor with a group of people and. I, you know, months, and then we're out there, and there's all these little dogs and little kids, and like people having their picnics, and like homies throwing down. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sam's throwing down some beautiful house music, and it's a sunset on a sunny afternoon. It's just, it was, it was perfect. Um, I guess it was evening because I, yeah, I usually work till around 
eight or nine. So I think I got there right around sunset, but it was just like the feeling of just being in community yeah. and motion. You know, like we talk in, in the house music community sometimes about like, you know, the club is church mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, I hadn't gone to church in a while. So yeah. Nice. Speaking of faith on that same Katie Halper interview that I listened to, when speaking of faith, you said like any good DJ, you remix things and religious in reference to your religious practice. And I wondered if the mindset of remixing makes its way into your political work at all, or if other musical mindsets inform your political advocacy. That's a fascinating question. And I suppose, yeah, I mean, I was just talking, I remember on a podcast with the student Texas over the weekend. And at one point in the conversation, I described progressivism and libertarianism as flip sides of the same coin. Mm. And, and he, as a libertarian, seemed to be very compelled by that, you know, talking that through. And, you know, that's there's a remix there. I'm, I'm a democratic socialist, and I often say I put the D back in democratic socialism. People focus on the S, because mm-hmm. that's what's <laughs> new. You know, like socialism in the face of corporate capitalism is like, people are like, wow, that's novel. Like, you know, maybe it is, but a lot of us have long been committed to making sure that people get housing and food and healthcare first before yeah. people get yachts. And so, like, that's, that's socialism. The D in the democratic socialism is just like maintain the vestigial commitments to democratic governance that are slipping through our fingers. Mm-hmm. And that's much more typically, if you, you know, trace it back, that tends to go in a, to libertarians, tend to be the people more concerned with that kind of stuff. But I remember COINTELPRO, yeah. though, you know, I was born in the tail end of it and socialized certainly after it, the conventional wisdom would suggest it ended. But the threat to dissent and the weaponization of intelligence apparatuses and police departments to suppress dissent and, and subvert our democracy by using security and public safety as a ruse to offend First Amendment principles, that is as timeless as the United States. And that goes back to the origins of the FBI. Yeah. I would just say in terms of the remix, I think a lot of democratic socialists, they lean into the socialism and they forget the democratic. Mm, yeah. And so like, if, if I have a remix, it's that I'm bringing in this like, and, and you know, I would say it's like, particularly inflected by a memory of the Panthers and the civil rights movement yeah. and the movement for peace in Vietnam and what happened to those movements and how they were neutralized. And I think a lot of contemporary socialists forget that not distant history. And or they never, they never learned it in the informed. first place because of the way our schools work. Yeah, I think that's right. But it's so relevant. But it's so relevant. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Yeah. In digging like through, you know, your music, something that was of note was uh, in 2014, you put out like a video slash song called USA versus the NSA. And then, NSA versus USA. Yeah. NSA versus USA. Mm-hmm. And then I also noticed that you you were spitting, you know, there's some videos on YouTube of you uh, spitting a Ferguson to Jerusalem-like verse yep. while DJing sometimes. And it's just, I know that at that particular moment in time, in, in 2014, there were a lot of things going on that, for whatever reason, I personally was just compelled to talk about within my art. So did that... Did that moment in time like have any sort of special significance that you felt the need to like write those two things? Because that's around the time of like the Edward Snowden, obviously yeah. for the Ferguson shooting. All within yeah, within about a year of each other. Uh, lots of things to say there. I mean, my dream has always been. This gets back to your question earlier about you know how would I construct my life if I wanted it. My dream has always been to do like rapid response political education through like hip hop and house music. And if mm-hmm. I could drop a music video within a week of a news cycle to be like, here's what it is. Yeah. Like, here's the background, here's the context, here's what you're not being told in the media. And, like, people don't have the stomach to read that, I've discovered. But it seems like they'll watch a music video for it. So, like, okay, let's just, let's package it like that. I think that's, like, that could be a thing. I mean, I mean that's kind of what we do on this show. That's my vision. Yeah. Yeah, right yeah. on. Thank you for that. I mean, if that's the vision that you're promoting, I mean, I props to you. I mean, if you, I have a page on my website, not for the campaign, but, like, my personal site, it's just my name.com, where the lyrics for NSA versus USA are annotated and hyperlinked to background news stories and articles like every word in that in that song like means something and you know I I basically write whether it's for an academic audience or a public literary audience or for like a musical audience as like public education you know slash propaganda recognizing that all for sure yeah I mean it is what it is so right and, and those songs for me in particular, I guess, were like my, they were my opuses in the sense of actually responding in as close to real time as I could get. Like I dropped NSA versus USA. It took me about a year after the Snowden revelations to get the music video done. But like, 
you know, I had to like do the Kickstarter and the whole nine. And like, so that took me a while. But by the time it dropped, it was like still, it remains, unfortunately, entirely too relevant. You know, and it goes back to the plot to kill Dr. King and connects that to Fred Hampson's assassination and the bombing of Judy Berry and Edward Snowden's revelation and Obama's continuation of Bush's legacy and, you know, the way that DHS biometric data collection inflects all this and, like, you know, the corruption that pervades this entire enterprise. Yeah, we actually, we, uh, did, um, we did an episode on COINTELPRO recently in the history of FBI oh, surveillance yeah. on black musicians, and I was really hoping to hear you talk a little bit about the CIA's involvement in the war on drugs as kind of an extension of the way the federal government has worked to... Break up, break up black communities and um, yes. what you as a congressman would do to heal the aftermath of the war on drugs. Thank you so much for bringing the lens there. People forget this entirely. And I find in contemporary mobilizations around the movement for black lives, this tends to be the thing I talk about is Gary Webb's legacy and how it relates to the issues that we are confronting today in terms of militarized police and the assaults on our communities. It is documented fact that the Central Intelligence Agency ran crack cocaine into U.S. cities in the 90s to fund its rogue foreign policy abroad and its human rights abuses across Latin America. And the agency never paid any price for that. No budgetary price, no programmatic price, nobody went to jail. You know, the worst that happened there was the Iran-Contra scandal, which was a piece of it. You know, the fuller dimensions of this never emerged until later. U.S. cops were dying on the streets of U.S. cities gunned down by narco-traffickers that the CIA had trained and equipped. Mm. And as a response to that, and a generation of people participating in an underground economy that the CIA created, we sent two and a half million black and brown people to prison. Yeah, and that's that's and, changed the, the hip-hop generation and the post-hip-hop generation, like, indelibly. That, like, it's such a formative, yeah. like, part of our history of and our story, the stories that we're still telling through our music. And I fear that as we tell those stories, we tell them almost as if we are depicting an elephant, but talking about the tusk. Like we talk about the militarization of police. We talk about how it impacts our communities. But behind the tusk is this whole other thing. And that's not just police. That is an extractive international industrial complex. Yep. That's what Eisenhower warned us about yep. in 1961. And it's much bigger than police. It's an industrial system of capital extracting wealth from people and communities around the planet. Yeah. Like, and that's the story of imperialism. And so policing is like one face of a hydra. And I'm very adamant in my policy recommendations and, you know, the policy I aim to effectuate as a legislature, as a legislator, to deal not merely with the tusk, but to dismantle the elephant, mm. the elephants of the GOP, the elements of imperialism, the elephants of social control whether from corporate sources or government sources. Policing is absolutely the tip of the spear. I mean, the tusk is a good metaphor there. Yeah. But there's a lot more behind it, and I'm adamant to get at all of it. Yeah, I, I, I found it really interesting that um, among calls to defund the police nationwide, um, you know, Bernie Sanders hasn't like necessarily gotten behind that, but has put forward legislation to defund the Pentagon by 10% and redistribute that funding mm -hmm. to communities. I think it, it is making that link between the broader industrial complexes that we're dealing with, with that, that tie into militarization and social control. And I know that you yourself have also um, joined this call to defund the Pentagon, and I wanted to see if you could talk to us a little bit about why. Yeah, the two absolutely connect. It's micro and macro. Yeah. You know, the the policing is the part of the military-industrial complex that we see. The Pentagon is the part of the military-industrial complex that we project. And especially now, in a time of pandemic and economic collapse, knowing how crucial is the need to establish universal health care. Yeah. You know, it doesn't just put your neighbors at risk when they can't get their medicine. It puts us all at risk. Like, we need medicine. We need doctors. We need cost not to be an impediment. We need to keep people in their homes. We need rent and mortgages not to be an impediment, right? I mean, we're going to have a wave of evictions and homelessness if we don't do something to keep people in their homes. If we play out the tape and, you know, presume for the moment that we manage to hold the pandemic at bay long enough to develop a vaccine or herd immunity, then, of course, climate catastrophe remains looming. If we are to see brighter days on any of these fronts, if we are to survive them, we have to put something other than profit at the center of our calculus. And... Uh, you know, I see in the rent and mortgage 
crisis and the failure of corporate Democrats to support, for instance, Ilhan Omar's proposal to cancel rents and mortgages and, and provide government support for small landlords so that they also don't have to bear the burden of this crisis, but to make sure that housing costs fall where they can be most easily shouldered, particularly on banks and corporate landlords, which we have bailed out before. So, you know, it makes perfect sense, but you can't find a corporate Democrat to see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Um, as well, you've fought for, I guess you could say, civil digital rights, digital civil rights for mm-hmm. 20 years, both sure. as a constitutional lawyer and as part of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And in our COINTELPRO episode, we talked a bit about digital safety while protesting, highlighting that people, you know, might come prepared for tear gas or bring water, but they might forget what risks there are with like facial recognition software and other forms of surveillance and control. So what do you... Like, how would you define our digital civil liberties and how have you fought to protect them as well as what work remains to be done? Right. So digital civil liberties are sort of the idea of keeping ourselves safe in spaces, even as we move into digital spaces. Right. So and, and frankly, the, the hole in the bucket when I talk about digital civil liberties is we're losing civil liberties in the, in the non-digital arena. So I think of them expansively as like, Kind of like, again, like progressivism and libertarianism are flip sides of a yeah, It's like liberties in my mind. But yeah. there's a whole bunch of people who are particularly concerned about one part of that, which is liberties online. And, you know, the threat vectors there are plenty, unfortunately. Corporate platforms do everything from spy on their users to constrain what they see. Uh, often very arbitrarily without any motive in the due process. I actually had an interview taken down by YouTube, a Google subsidiary, about two, maybe three months ago, I did an interview with an independent journalist in mm-hmm. New York. I remember that. Oh, I think yeah. I did hear with about Walker that. Bradman. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's even crazier when you consider the subject matter, because what we were talking about was how the mainstream press was not covering the congressional attempts to railroad and other extension of the Patriot Act, government surveillance powers, through Congress and how it wasn't drawing press attention. So we do this interview. YouTube takes it down within 10 minutes of it hitting the web. 10 minutes. Right. He didn't record a local copy of it, so it was gone, effectively. So that's a corporate platform. So they never told you what the reason was? We suspect because this was early in the pandemic and there were, you know, there was a lot of concern about fake news relating to it. And we did talk about the coronavirus stimulus packages and my, my critique of corporate Democrats and their privileging corporate interests and, you know, some of the same issues we're talking about now. So the theory is that saying the words COVID or coronavirus basically triggers some algorithm to... Right. So we don't think it's, and this is the danger when we talk about digital civil liberties, maybe here's the thing that makes it digital. It's less the concern about censorship by a censor 
with a nefarious intent, which is still a real thing, just to be clear. But what we're really concerned about is censorship by algorithm right. here, where there's no one making the decision at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's a good metaphor for capitalism. Capitalism is like computers here. It's a thing, a mechanism that we built to try to facilitate something that has gotten off its leash, that's run amok, that is now calling the shots. You know, capital is supposed to be a thing that facilitates exchange, maybe a, a way to better, more efficiently allocate resources. But when capital attains a gravity of its own, mm-hmm. such that our democratic processes serve it instead of our communities, we have a problem, mm-hmm. a pretty severe problem, because it inevitably, whether through a pandemic or the grinding gears of a military industrial complex or paramilitary police, it leaves people dead in its wake. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Um, do you think there's any wins for the movement here? And um, where, if anywhere, does it fall short? And I guess for listeners who might not be um, familiar with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, like what is it? Right. This is the bill that the House passed recently. I've been uh, quite critical of it and the theater surrounding it, but I do want to acknowledge the parts of it that are worth praising. And you're right to uh, just invite sort of parsing it because it is a very uh, multi-component measure. So for the better part of 20 years, I've been advocating measures, including the End Racial Profiling Act, which corporate Democrats have never supported. Parts of it are included in the Justice and Policing Act. Other things that we've proposed for years, including ending qualified immunity and creating a violent uh, registry of violent police, they're also included in the Justice and Policing Act. And I'm grateful to corporate Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, for biting off parts of our platform. I wish they did it sooner. I'm glad they finally showed up. The bill has yet to become law. It still has to pass the Senate and be signed by a president into law. So just to locate where it's at in the process, a critical, cynical view of the passage of the law through the House might suggest that because the Senate won't pass it, it was politically cheap for the House to do it. There's no cost they have to pay because it can't become policy as long as the Senate is constituted as it is, mm. right? So that's, that's a cynical view of the passage of it. Another cynical view of the passage of it is the theater surrounding it, which was Nancy Pelosi and the entire Democratic leadership kneeling in traditional West African garb reserved for royalty yeah. on the House floor. After having legislated for a generation the measures that created this crisis yeah. from the 1994 crime bill to the measures that uh, allowed the transfer of military equipment to local police to the serial funding request by the Department of Justice that then fund local police, whether or not they comply with civil rights. Each of these active measures by Congress have built the problem that they're now showing up to claim to care about. Mm -hmm. And just to get into the last part of your question around what were the parts of the bill that fell short? And, And frankly, there's one particular part of it that is actively harmful, and I want to dig in on that. Uh, In terms of falling short, what the bill does not do, and you mentioned Senator Sanders also has yet to support, calls to defund police. That is the community demand. And the reason we're demanding that is because we have been through this too many damn times. We are tired of saying their names. The time for commissions is over. There have been commissions. Yeah. Yeah, There have been proposals. We are done. We've studied this issue. No more task forces. No more task forces. Oh, my God. No more. We know that, that community safety is undermined by police. When we need public safety, the way to get public safety in too many communities is to remove the publicly subsidized threat in our communities, and that is military agents of the state who murder arbitrarily with impunity. And just to get into that next part about what in the bill is actively unharmful, beyond failing to defund police, the Justice and Policing Act also inflates police budgets by trying to create a national mandate for police body cameras, mm. which do not help civil rights. Police body cameras are a corporate bait and switch. You cannot get accountability through a body camera, both yeah. <clears throat> because the most it even offers, even if they're always on, and even if we always got the footage, the most it offers is the officer's perspective of a particular set of incidents. It doesn't give you transparency into an incident, just an officer's perspective. It doesn't give you transparency into patterns or practices or what the officer's doing out of the field of view. 
it, and it doesn't give you, this is the key, accountability. Even if a body camera gave you transparency into the entire setting, which a dash cam does. It, yeah, it, I was just about to say, it strikes me that a, usually it's the dash cam that captures stuff like that when you see That's videos. Right. Dash cams are helpful because they capture the officer in context. Body cams are not because they don't. And in any case, even with all the tools, whichever, you know, whether it's dash cams or body cams, in too many cases, the problem is the law, not transparency. When we say George Floyd's name or Eric Garner's name, we are remembering people who were killed on video that we have all seen. Hundreds of millions of people. It happening. Yeah. Exactly. And it didn't put anybody in prison either. Yeah. Right? The only person from Eric Garner's scene who went to prison was the man holding the camera, Ramsey Ortega, I think is his name. Uh, and the idea that, that transparency is going to equal accountability presumes that the law actually works. And the only way the law works is to insulate power from accountability. And ending qualified immunity is a big part of this. So that's part of the Justice and Policing Act, which is frankly... Uh, you know, I'm, among the things I'm grateful for this last, um, most recent and continuing wave of popular mobilization for doing is expanding the popular consciousness around when we say defund police, when we say end qualified immunity. These are proposals. You know, I proposed defunding police and ending qualified immunity in 2018. These are proposals the movement for Black Lives said in 2014. Yeah. We've all been saying, but only recently have they become embraced by institutional actors by you know casual observers of the movement and I think the public education that the movement has done particularly around issues like ending qualified immunity like defunding police is driving the legislative agenda and I'd say you know the future is this simple you're either on the train with our communities or you're not you're in the way and we are going to take your seats it's that simple show up for our communities or we're going to show you the door and I aim to be a vehicle, an agent of that transition in a particularly pivotal seat because of who is occupying it and has occupied it for the last 30 years. Has the campaign that you're on seen any sort of a boost in attention since Bernie dropped out? Hugely so. I've been amazed. I definitely started I thought, donating a lot more often out of Bernie <laughs> grief, having to put those dollars somewhere. <laughs> Thank you for your support. It makes a huge difference. And you know, as soon as we won the primary, I knew that there would be a, because we now have a foot in the door until November. And I knew that there would be a point in the cycle where more and more eyes would be turning to us, if only because the field would be narrowing and we'd be one of the last of the Mohicans for our movement on the field in this cycle. I had hoped certainly to be running on the ticket behind Bernie because our nation needs his vision now more than ever. And because frankly, I would rather my time in Washington be about building a brighter future rather than trying to stave off the worst parts of our predatory past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, be that as it may, when Bernie suspended his campaign, I think a lot of people around the country were looking for opportunities to vindicate our movement and still advance the principles that we all share in the Not Me Us movement. And I'm incredibly humbled, grateful for, frankly, just astounded by the what's happened. I mean, I'm auditioning for a chance to represent a city in Congress. And at the same time, without, frankly, any design or even idea that this was a possibility, I stumbled into an opportunity to be one of the voices representing a movement. And again, I'm just grateful for the chance to play that role and, and uh, really grateful to all the people around the country who've been flocking to our campaign. We now have, I think we're right around 25,000 donors across the country, which for an, a congressional campaign challenging yeah, no, that's crazy. Is bananas. That's dope, yeah. I mean we're raising as much money sometimes there have been days recently where we've raised as much as in a day as it took me a month to raise in 2018 and you know in 2018 I got as many votes as Ocasio-Cortez did after three months in the race and I've got you know four times since then and we've been building this campaign pretty dramatically and it's you know reflecting in ways that I didn't even again when I started out I didn't even understand were possible yeah uh, and yeah, I'm looking very much forward to the next three months and to the, the, my first term in Congress after removing Nancy Pelosi. So what does winning look like to you, like in terms of the coalition you need to build and the outreach that's left to do? So the folks at the core of the coalition include the progressive social movements of San Francisco. So the immigrant rights community, the movement that's been very active in resisting police violence, the movement for a global peace and justice, civil liberties, digital civil liberties. These are all very much 
core parts of our coalition. Other parts of our coalition include artists, a countercultural community that recognizes the co-optation of our hopes and dreams by an establishment. Uh, they include um, uh, beyond immigrant rights, like immigrant communities of various pieces. And so this is one uh, among the parts of the coalition we really need to more solidify, include Chinese-speaking immigrant communities. We have a very robust and active uh, Spanish language outreach program, so that's also building. Um, the gay community in San Francisco is something of a political kingmaker, and I've done a lot of work defending gay rights. Mm-hmm. In the primary, uh, the the parts of the city where the LGBTQ community are most concentrated did support Pelosi far and away. Uh, I think that's driven by a false impression that she is resisting Trump when, in fact, she does so much to advance Republican policies. And so a big part of our work is cracking that impression and educating many of our neighbors about how we are actually represented in Congress and what Pelosi's record actually looks like. It's one reason why I'm so eager to have a debate with her. Oh, I can't But she wait. hasn't debated anyone. Oh, I really right? hope it happens. I appreciate that. But, you know, she hasn't debated anyone in 30 years. So is she going to show up for work now? I would certainly hope so. But... You know, ultimately, it's up to what news organization is CNN going to like do its job yeah, yeah. Yeah. or not? Is is the Chronicle going to like make it happen? She can decline our invitations. She can decline. She's already declined KPFA's invitation. Oh, really? Oh, well, she's refused to respond to it. So that's that's her MO. She just doesn't show up. If you, I, I debated at her house. A bunch of groups brought me to her house this weekend, set up a chair outside her house, asked her a bunch of questions, particularly about the military budget. She wasn't there to answer them. And then they handed me the microphone. And, I'll and she hasn't even that. indicated that she wants to participate in the debate at all? Um, her, uh, I think her only indication, I think she would regard this race as basically a threat to her to ever acknowledge. The only acknowledgement I've ever heard, you're going to like this. I woke up one morning to read in the New York Times that Christine Pelosi, Nancy's daughter, who they want to give the seat to after Nancy retires, to then wield it for another generation. Christine's yeah. on the DNC. She apparently, as is reported in the New York Times, had called Bernie Sanders to complain that Susan Sarandon had endorsed me. And the Times article didn't name me. It just depicted this saga about me. What? Right? And I, and I tweeted, I'm like, you know, if you all are so concerned about actresses in Los Angeles endorsing my campaign in San Francisco to represent our city in Washington, D.C., why can't you just, instead of calling Bernie Sanders in Washington and it being reported in New York, just show up for the damn debate. Yo, it's not that hard. Defend your, po- defend your position. Like, what the hell? It's just entitlement, you know, and it, the whole situation reeks of entitlement to me. So when you ask me, like, you know, will she show up for a debate? What's her attitude of the race? I mean, as far as they're concerned, I think, like, they own the seat. And it's that simple, you know, and I'm just a nuisance. If the conditions of stuff have them in a position where they don't have to even engage in a debate for 30 years that's that's, that's not democracy what does that say? that's not democracy that, that's yeah, not democracy no. at, all, uh-huh. at all and i think you know the conditions now are very different i think the conditions now are very are such that they probably can't survive ducking a debate like how can and this is the ultimate question not just for the people of san francisco or our news media but i think our democracy at large is can the leader of the opposition party actually get away with keeping a criminal president in office and doing everything she can to advance his criminal agenda while mouthing resistance on television. Mm -hmm. Like, is anyone going to call her on that? And I'm calling her on that. But to journalists in particular, I would just say for the sake of news media as an institution, and I'm saying this particularly in the context of a criminal president waging an outright assault on their profession. And like, you know, given that you have a right-wing ideologue deriding the press as telling fake news... You have a corporate uh, defender in the supposed opposition party who refuses to actually demonstrate in meaning any of the words that she's saying. So you have two two very powerful oligarchs, real estate tycoons, born with silver spoons in their mouths to powerful East Coast families, basically governing by theater, trading illustrations with smoke and mirrors. And that's what the press has been reduced to reporting on to the American people. And I would like to just offer a little bit of truth in that equation, if anybody can tolerate it. I'm assured that whoever wins the White House in the next term, I'm going to be fighting them from the left. Because it's just a matter of, you know, which racist, misogynist with a history of promoting belligerent international conflict is the one I'm going to be charged to fight. 
and I'm eager to see. Yeah. Well, I got two final questions for you. The first, um, you are on a podcast called Waiting on Reparations, and so I feel like we have to ask, what are your thoughts on reparations? Fully legit. I mean, there have been four centuries of theft from an entire set of people. I would like to see reparations effectuated through a set of measures that particularly address dynastic wealth. Mm. So my first Law Review article in 2000, I wrote a, uh, a paper about ways to advance economic equality through a market framework, and inheritance in particular violates a market framework. If you think about a market distribution norm, that's about theoretically distribution according to productivity. But it's decidedly not distribution according to birth. That's a feudal norm, not a market norm. Mm -hmm. So if we disaggregate feudalism from capitalism, there's a huge opportunity to shake loose a massive accumulated pool of resources mm. that have basically been siphoned off the table. There was a French economist many years later, uh, about five years ago, Thomas Piketty, uh, who wrote a book, Capital, establishing empirically that the rate of return on capital exceeds the rate of increase in productivity growth, meaning that fortunes accumulate over time. Mm -hmm and the accumulations of fortunes basically deprive the economies that they're siphoning resources yeah. out of. So and a trusts and estates policy that claws back from dynastic fortunes, the funds that could get redistributed yeah. through a reparations process could be you know, one interesting way to get there. I think there are you know, interesting ways to get there in terms of like tax amnesties that we could consider, you know, like what would four centuries of tax amnesties of a federal tax amnesty for black entrepreneurs and wage earners look like. You know, nobody, like there's lots of creative ways to, to, to synthesize what reparations might look like. At the very least, we need to move forward. With, there is a proposal for a formal commission to propose potential structures, and I want to see that move yeah, forward. Yeah. I, I, I really like the idea of a tax amnesty because, you know, the predictable response is always, you know, how do we exactly. pay for it? In this context, it sidesteps that problem and says, well, you know, it, it, there's just a lot of neat ways and, and, and elegant ways to address established criticisms that I, so I think a lot of attempt, yeah. Yeah, critics haven't even like needed to grapple with because we haven't synthesized it. Yeah, they think that how you're going to pay for it is the end of the conversation. And really, it's the beginning <laughs> of a conversation that folks have already been having. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've seen in the last three months that if they want to come up with a shit ton of money, they can pretty quickly. I think it's been really eye-opening for a lot of the public. Yeah, definitely. Right. Another just creative way here that we can do some remixing, you know, kind of reflecting on your earlier question. Think about equity licensing schemes in the cannabis industry. Yeah. If we legalize cannabis at the federal level and say that enterprises can only be of a certain size unless they're black-owned, like that's a way to effectuate reparations. That, that doesn't involve any public expenditure. Mm, yeah. You know, it's, it's using a licensure scheme to effectually, uh, effectively put in place like a, you know, a, uh, what in another, another era we might have written off as affirmative action and, you know, all the things that it became subject to politically, like reparations are an opportunity to revisit that conversation in a way that could be um, more sustainable politically. Yeah. And my final question, any music recommendations for the people? Always Public Enemy and Chucky. Yeah. Uh, they've got this new tour with uh, Rage, Prophets of Rage, which, uh, yeah. digging on that, highly recommend it. I actually had a friend, uh, Obey, who performed with them on nice. some of that last time that they went out. It was pretty cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> that must be a, a fierce brother to have a like with those folks. It, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, should, I should share while I'm on your show that one of my dreams is to be endorsed by Chuck D. Tom Morello, actually. I'm the first politician he's ever endorsed. They he endorsed were? me in 2018. I was pretty proud of yeah, that, man. man. <laughs> um, but, you know, Chuck's somebody I've long been inspired by. Uh, any number of MCs, but just in terms of other recommendations, there's a house producer by the name of Ross Couch who puts out some just beautiful music that with often some very uh, visionary lyrical samples and uh, vocalists. Oh. He seems to, you know, curate that. Um, there's one track I, I, I've been spinning. Uh, I played the other day in Alamo Square, the one time I've had a chance to play recently. That just took me back. It's uh, the Shaman. Is a British group from like the late '80s, early '90s. They have this track, "Move Any Mountain," that to me is very. Um, I don't know if I had an anthem for our campaign, that would be it. And yeah. you know, I remember hearing this track. It was like on the dance floor when I was like 17, 18, and you know, 
maybe it's been ringing in my head for 20 years, but I do feel very firmly that we as a people can, in fact, move any mountain. And that is exactly what we are going to do. Well, how do people help you move these mountains, Shahid? Tell them how to stay in touch with your campaign. Good looking out. Folks can visit us online. Uh, our website is shahidforchange.us. We're also on all of the major social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, at Shahid for Change. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming That's on. So. It's been Good wonderful. Good luck on your campaign. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're rooting for Definitely. you. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate it. Yeah, super fun conversation. I wish I had, I had more chances to have exchanges like this, and I appreciate you bringing me on. Oh, no problem. All right, well, have a good night. Um, and hey, when evening. you're whenever you're thinking about picking up the you know the Yo. mic again, you know, holler at us. We'll we'll throw down some verses. Hey. Right on, right on. Kick some political. I'm down raps. with that. Let's make that happen. You know we got this soundtruck now, so we can bump right Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit, ain't nothing to it but to do it. We, I mean, we all here. We got the beat. Yo, let's get a beep going. Let's do this. Hey, hey. Yo, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waiting on reparations. Dope, 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 dope. We did it in Minnesota. We did it up in the Bronx. And in November, we're sending another member of the squad to go represent us in Congress. Remember the name of Shahid Patal when you go to drop your option in the ballot box. We finished the fund the Pentagon and put it in the Medicare for all and making sure our toddlers get to go to college. Put a roof over every head regardless within your wallets. No excuse, I would rarely live but honest people who promise to put people over profit. But now we got it. Before the lawyer, artist, advocate, you can't forget Shahid. Shahid, uh, uh, uh. Shahid for Congress. Hey yo, the bullshit's choking us so no one can breathe This mask on, don't approach me when I go in the street I'm a beast, whether a host or I'm roasting a beat You want some hope to believe, then vote for Shahid Now it seems the way we going is holding like no escape And that's why the big homie is going against the grain But wait, cause if we all get Pelosi to go debate He'll expose, make resistance, mostly it's just a fake I don't give a fuck what nobody say You better go out and play, I read books, I ain't voting for yay Oh what a day, I don't even know what they trying to be Got a nigga feeling like the last of a dying breed Wish I was a little bit taller wish i was a baller then i could get tested for corona but i'm not so that you don't accept i'll be a goner that's why i'm smoking so much marijuana on you uh hey my name is dope knife i'm lingo franca and, and we, we are, are waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations maria see you next week see you next week Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins.